European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 4, Focus Issue, Cardio-Oncology, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Cardio-Oncology, a focus on cardiovascular toxicities of cancer therapies and on atrial fibrillation in cancer. This issue opens with two special articles of the series the Year in Cardiovascular Medicine. The first article is The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2021 Diabetes and Metabolic Disorders by Francesco Constantino from the Karolinska University Hospital in Stockholm, Sweden, and colleagues. In their contribution, the authors review recently published studies that are helping us to understand how the treatment landscape for glucagon like peptide 1 receptor antagonists, or GLPRAs, and sodium glucose co-transporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitors, is moving forward. They've also included relevant articles related to cardiovascular disease prevention in the setting of diabetes and metabolic disorders, with a special focus on obesity. The second article from this series is The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2021, Digital Health and Innovation, by Paul Friedman from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, and colleagues. Some of the most important developments in the field of digital medicine that have appeared over the last 12 months and are related to cardiovascular medicine are presented. The article consists of three main sections. One, artificial intelligence, or AI-enabled cardiovascular diagnostic tools, techniques, and methodologies. Two, big data and prognostic models for cardiovascular risk protection, and three, wearable devices in cardiovascular risk assessment, cardiovascular disease prevention, diagnosis, and management. In their conclusion, the authors present a brief further perspective on this new domain, highlighting existing gaps that are specifically related to AI technologies, such as explainability, cost-effectiveness, and of course the importance of proper regulatory oversight for each clinical implementation. The issue then continues with a focus on cardio-oncology. In a special article entitled Defining Cardiovascular Toxicities of Cancer Therapies, an International Cardio-Oncology Society, or ICOS, consensus statement by Jörg Hermann and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA. The authors note that the discipline of cardio-oncology has seen tremendous growth over the past decade. It is devoted to the cardiovascular care of the cancer patient, especially to the mitigation and management of cardiovascular complications or toxicities of cancer therapies, which can have profound implications on prognosis. To that effect, many studies have assessed cardiovascular toxicities in patients undergoing various types of cancer therapies. However, direct comparisons have proven difficult due to lack of uniformity in cardiovascular toxicity endpoints. Similarly, in clinical practice, there can be substantial differences in the understanding of what constitutes cardiovascular toxicity, which can lead to significant variation in patient management and outcomes. This document addresses these issues and provides consensus definitions for the most commonly reported cardiovascular toxicities including cardiomyopathy, stroke heart failure, and myocarditis, vascular toxicity, and hypertension, as well as arrhythmias and QTC prolongation. 
The current document reflects a harmonizing review of the current landscape in cardiovascular toxicities and the definitions used to define these. This consensus effort aims to provide a structure for definitions of cardiovascular toxicity in the clinic and for future research. It will be important to link the definitions outlined herein to outcomes in clinical practice and cardiovascular endpoints in clinical trials. It should facilitate communication across various disciplines to improve clinical outcomes for cancer patients with cardiovascular diseases. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Incidence, Risk Factors and Mortality of Atrial Fibrillation in Breast Cancer A SEER Medical Analysis Avarip Guha and colleagues from the Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA indicate that the national incidence, risk factors and associated mortality of atrial fibrillation or AF in breast cancer patients are unknown. Using the surveillance, epidemiology and end results Medicare linked database, the authors identified females greater than or equal to 66 years old with a new primary diagnosis of breast cancer from 2007 through 2014. These patients were individually matched one-to-one -to, -one to Medicare enrollees without cancer, and each pair was followed for up to one year to identify a primary outcome of AF. The study included greater than 85,000 breast cancer patients. New-onset AF was diagnosed in 2,993 patients in a one-year period after breast cancer diagnosis, incidence 3.3%, while the incidence of new-onset AF in matched non-cancer controls was 1.8%. In addition to traditional demographics and cardiovascular risk factors, breast cancer stage was strongly associated with the development of AF. American Joint Committee on Cancer, or AJCC, stage 2, 3, 4, versus 1, Adjusted Hazard Ratio, or AHR, 1.51 stroke 2.63 stroke 4.21 respectively. New onset AF after breast cancer diagnosis was associated with increased one-year cardiovascular mortality, AHR 3.00. The authors conclude that AF incidence is significantly higher in women after breast cancer diagnosis. Higher breast cancer stages at diagnosis are significantly associated with a higher risk of AF. New onset AF after new breast cancer diagnosis is associated with one-year cardiovascular mortality, but not with breast cancer-related mortality. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Jose Merino from the La Paz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. Merino concludes that this study further supports that AF has direct or indirect causal relationships with breast cancer and suggests that the occurrence of this arrhythmia increases cardiovascular mortality, with thromboembolic complications being one of the main drivers. The potential benefits of anticoagulation in this setting appear not to be outweighed by the risk of bleeding. Although ideally the net benefit of anticoagulation and the best agent for it would need to be validated by randomized trials in this population, the number of patients needed for such trials makes registries such as the present one valid pieces of evidence until the former are conducted. Cardiac immune-related adverse events, or IRAEs, 
from Immune Checkpoint Inhibition, or ICI, targeting Program Death 1, or PD-1, are of growing concern. Once cardiac IRAEs become clinically manifest, fertility rates are high. In a translational research article entitled Targeting Early Stages of Cardiotoxicity from Anti-PD-1 Immune Checkpoint Inhibitor Therapy, Lars Mitchell from the University Hospital Essen in Germany and colleagues aim to investigate early consequences of PD-1 inhibition for cardiac integrity to prevent the development of overt cardiac disease. The authors investigated cardiac-specific consequences from anti-PD-1 therapy in a combined biochemical and in vivo phenotyping approach. Mouse hearts showed broad expression of the ligand PDL1 on cardiac endothelial cells as a main mediator of immune crosstalk. Using a novel melanoma mouse model, they assessed that anti PD1 therapy promoted myocardial infiltration with CD4 and CD8 T cells, the latter being markedly activated. Left ventricular, or LV, function was impaired during pharmacological stress, as shown by pressure volume catheterization. This was associated with a dysregulated myocardial metabolism, including the proteome and lipidome. Analogous to the experimental approach, in patients with metastatic melanoma, N equaling 7, receiving anti-PD-1 therapy, LV function in response to stress was impaired under therapy. Finally, the authors found that blockade of tumor necrosis factor alpha, or TNF-alpha, preserved LV function without attenuating the anti-cancer efficacy of anti-PD-1 therapy. Mitchell et al. conclude that anti-PD-1 therapy induces a disruption of cardiac immune homeostasis, leading to early impairment of myocardial functional integrity, with potential prognostic effects on the growing number of treated patients. Blockade of TNF-alpha may serve as an approach to prevent ICI-related cardiotoxicity. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Carlo Dossetti from the Federico Due University in Naples, Italy, and colleagues. The authors conclude that while blocking TNF-alpha in heart failure has been proven to be contraindicated in symptomatic NYHA 3 and 4 patients, the experimental data provided here by Lars Mitchell seem to suggest that such an approach may be promising in the presence of subclinical cardiac involvement aiming at limiting derangements in cardiac immunity and hence preventing overt cardiac adverse events. Cardiac involvement, a major determinant of prognosis of AL, like chain immunoglobulin amyloidosis, is characterized by an impairment of longitudinal strain. In a clinical research article entitled, Longitudinal Strain, is an independent predictor of survival and response to therapy in patients with systematic AL amyloidosis. Oliver Cohen and colleagues from the University College London in the United Kingdom sought to evaluate the utility of longitudinal strain in a prospectively observed series of patients. A total of 915 consecutive newly diagnosed AL patients with comprehensive baseline assessments, inclusive of echocardiography, were included. 69% had cardiac involvement. The longitudinal strain worsened with advancing cardiac stage, with mean minus 21.1 
minus 17.1, minus 12.9, and minus 12.1 for stages 1, 2, 3a and 4b respectively, p being less than 0.0001. There was a highly significant worsening of overall survival, or OS, with worsening longitudinal strain quartile. Longitudinal strain less than or equal to minus 16.2% 80 months, minus 16.1% to minus 12.2% 36 months, minus 12.1% to minus 9.1% 22 months, and greater than or equal to minus 9% for 5 months, B being less than 0.0001. Improvement in longitudinal strain was seen at 12 months in patients achieving a hematological complete response. Strain improvement was associated with improved OS, P equaling 0.007. Patients achieving a longitudinal strain improvement and a standard N-terminal pro-brain natriuretic peptide-based cardiac response survived longer than those achieving a biomarker-based cardiac response alone, P being less than 0.0001. The authors conclude the baseline longitudinal strain is a functional marker that correlates with worsening cardiac involvement and is predictive of survival. Baseline longitudinal strain and an absolute improvement in longitudinal strain are useful additional measures of prognosis and response to therapy respectively in cardiac AL amyloidosis. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Claudio Ripetzi from the University of Ferrara in Italy and colleagues. The authors conclude that the growing body of evidence about longitudinal strain in cardiac amyloidosis is transforming a simple echocardiographic functional parameter into a multi-purpose biomarker, useful for diagnosis, risk stratification, and decision-making in patients with AL cardiac amyloidosis. The study by Cohen et al. represents a relevant step during this journey. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions in a commentary entitled Iron Therapy on Quality of Life in Acute Heart Failure, Alternative Approaches. Conrad Theodore Sawicki and Hussein Adehali from the Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois, USA comment on the recent publication The Effect of Intravenous Ferric Carboxymaltose on Health-Related Quality of Life in Iron-Deficient Patients with Acute Heart Failure results of the AFFIRM AHF study by Eva Jankowska from the Wroclaw Medical University in Poland. Jankowska et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that the listeners of this issue of the European Heart Journal will find it of interest.